Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on July 4th, Lord's Day Service. Text this morning is the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 23 through 30. Ephesians 5, 23 through 30. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the refreshing gift of your word. That it does not only speak to us words that we always like to hear, but that it always speaks to us the words we need to hear. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. This morning in Sunday school, we heard about gravity and the way that it, among many other elements in God's created cosmos, teaches, it reveals the creation order. Well, imagine if you stepped into a college classroom and the professor said, after much research, I've come to disagree with gravity. I think it's an outdated idea invented by men to keep people down. <laughs> You'd probably say, at least to yourself, he's nuts. Well, let's say hundreds, thousands of people all start posting their I hate gravity because it keeps people down message on social media. So you have a lot of people who decide we're going to rebel against gravity. Planes prove that you don't have to follow gravity. It's an invention of men. Now, we all know that it would not matter how much they disagreed with gravity. Their belief does not override what is true. The same is true for hierarchy. Hierarchy is a part of God's created order. We see it from the very beginning. When Paul argues for why men must be lead in the church, he argues from the order of creation that the man was created first and then the woman. 
we know that this is true, but we know that, that the woman was formed to help man in his work of stewardship. That is also biblical. Yet the man abdicated his responsibility as the leader, and the woman was deceived. The result of these two things is the sexual chaos we live in today. Brothers and sisters, by following and submitting to Christ and His plan for the household, we take part in the cosmic battle against the dragon, a battle that has been going on since the very creation itself. We take part in that battle and we take part in the restoration of order in God's world. Raising a family, leading a family does not look fancy. You can actually look around and see people who appear on some, in some cases to be more successful because they have more things. They have more money. They can do a lot more maybe than you can because their priorities are different. But the work of leading your household is one of the most important works in all the cosmos. Do not doubt that. That's why the Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians, in this letter, he will go immediately from what are called the household codes, establishing the roles of fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, and then servants, and children and servants, and then he will go directly into spiritual warfare. It's not that he writes and then he has another thought and he says, no, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pick my pen or quill back up and just write on something totally random. No, it's a purpose because the household walking in the order God created is the tool of warfare. Over the last few weeks, we've heard about the roles and responsibilities of wives in the household and how submission means embracing and receiving the eternal wisdom of God revealed in nature, in the creation, and in His Word. Today, we look at that wisdom from the perspective and the responsibilities of the husband. In this passage, the Apostle Paul moves fluidly between the relationship of a husband to his wife to the, from that to the relationship of Christ and the church, who is the bride. By the way, if you want to really you know, flip anyone's minds, it was, became popular several years ago to say that Jesus was married. You can say, you're right. His bride is the church. That is Scripture. It is no hyperbole to say that the husband is the king of his household. To our modern ears, though, that sounds like we're saying the husband is the premier guest of his personal resort, which is not true. 
To call him a king is to say that he is the primary example for household members to imitate. He is responsible for, for providing, protecting, building, shepherding, nurturing, disciplining, and cultivating his household. He is the first to encourage the one who falls, the last to complain when something goes wrong, the first to sacrifice his enjoyment for the blessing and betterment of those who are under him, who serve in the house. Being a king means embracing the responsibilities of leadership, of sacrifice, and of sanctification. And we will look at those three things in the text this morning, all of which we, we learn by looking to Jesus as our premier example. He demonstrates what a faithful household leader is and does. So we begin this morning. The first thing is that men are called to love through leadership. Being a good steward, a king in your household means loving through leadership. Verse 23, the husband is head of the wife just as Christ is the head of the church. Loving leadership means taking responsibility for the state of your household and graciously guiding others, those who are in your household, in the right path. Paul teaches that Jesus is the head. He is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. Marriage has from its foundation been a picture, a gift to us, a blessing, but also a foreshadowing of something that was going to happen. It was in God's plan before the creation that Jesus Christ, the Son, would marry. He would be the husband to His people. He showed, Jesus showed in His earthly ministry the meaning of leadership. And there are three parts I want to emphasize. It would be very quick. But leadership means three things. It means, first of all, declaration. Showing where we are going or pointing out the purpose, the end destination. Many of you are going to take, if you've not already taken a trip, you will take a trip sometime this summer. And when you take a trip, one of the universal things that always happens is there is a destination where you want to arrive. That is unless you say we're just going to get in the car and go. Not very common. So leadership means, give, means declaring where we are going. So in the household, it means declaring what do we want the household to look like? What should this look like in the future? You should have an idea, men, of what you want your household to look like in five years, in ten years. Now I know you don't know the future, okay? That's a given. 
But just because we believe in the sovereignty of God does not mean that we throw planning out. No, we have to give a declaration of where we are going. But secondly, after there's a declaration, there's also direction. Leadership means direction, pointing out the path. So we have where we want to arrive, but there's also the path we take to get there. That's giving direction. And third, leadership means demonstration. How do I start on this path? It means showing what should be done, leading by example. And this is exactly what Jesus did in His earthly ministry. The declaration that He made from the beginning, right after His baptism, what is the message Jesus preached? He declared the kingdom of God. That is the declaration. That is what His ministry was about. The direction, the way that you arrive there is through making disciples, teaching them the eternal truth and wisdom of God's Word. The demonstration of how to do this was His three years of ministry on earth. What did Jesus do? How did He walk? How did He make disciples? What did He give? That's what the church is to do now. We follow the example of our husband. Families Households need leadership to thrive. Thus, men, we show love by leading well. Now here there are two potential pitfalls in leadership. Love prevents both of these. The first pitfall is subjugation. Subjugation, the belief that I must make my wife and kids get on board with my plan because I'm the husband, I'm the head. So this is the way, walk with me, and I'm sorry, why are you guys not already on board? What's the problem here? It's easy to look around when, when, you're, when you're a father, when you're a husband, to look around and see that things are not what they need to be. And, and honestly, a lot of times when, when we see that things are not what they should be, internally, we may blame others, but we know that the fault lies with us because we are responsible. So we feel stress when we see our problems, when we see our failing, when we see the failings of others, we know that it comes down to, if we're honest, leadership that's not given. And we are tempted to lash out at whatever we think is either the one who's the nearest at hand or whatever is in our way. But this is impatience and fear. It's not godly leadership. We must, loving means patiently leading. Jesus is a shepherd. 
He guides His sheep. He doesn't stampede the sheep. When you see an area in your home that needs shoring up, confess whatever your part is and start the process to correct it. Love patiently guides. And it gives place for your family to follow. The second pitfall is abdication. The first pitfall is subjugation. The second one is, ab the second one is abdication. Men fear leading because the world hates God's created patriarchal order. So first, the first bad word I used was hierarchy. Now the second one is, is like unto it and worse. It's, it's patriarchy. But you cannot confess the Apostles' Creed without confessing, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And when you confess, I believe in God the Father Almighty, you are confessing the patriarchal order on which the world is made. There is no other order. To evade that is to try to escape nature as it is. You will lead men regardless. You'll either lead well or lead badly. Doug Wilson says this in his book Reforming Marriage, he cannot successfully refuse to lead. If he attempts to abdicate in some way, he may, through his rebellion, lead poorly. But no matter what he does or where he goes, he does so as the head of the wife. End quote. Often, we don't lead because we're afraid our wives will not follow. We think, I don't know that this is going to work, so I probably just don't need to do anything. That's why, men, it's good to communicate. Talk with your wives. Because they are given to you as helpers in your calling to lead. So don't, de don't develop your 10-page family sanctification plan and unveil it and say, now, this is what we're going to do. And you spring it on everybody at devotion one night. Okay? Talk with her. Because she, she knows you better than anybody else does. So she knows where you may have a tendency to overstep. Maybe your ideals are too high. Maybe you know having family prayer seven times a day is not quite what everybody needs at this point. But talk. Express where you are and then listen to what she says. You don't have to accomplish everything tomorrow. If you're setting out on a long trip, you're not going to make it in a day. So rest content in the fact that a little bit of progress is just that. It's progress. But don't stay paralyzed because you can't make it to the end of your destination tomorrow. So we begin by loving through leadership. Secondly, men are called to serve through sacrifice. 
verses 28 and 29. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does for the church. When you marry, you are made one flesh, united covenantally before God. Your wife is now called by your name. So you are called to treat your wife as you treat yourself. And this, when we look at the, the work, the ministry of Jesus, Jesus did not go around trying to make His name known. Jesus did not cultivate a brand. In fact, He did things that ostracized many who would follow Him. You read, early in the book of John, He was saying things that all, the, you know, modern megachurch people would say, what are you doing? This is crazy. Don't talk about eating your body and drinking your blood. That doesn't go well. When he would heal people, he would say, now please don't tell anyone about this. How many of us, if we had stretched out our hand and someone was healed, we would say, you don't have to tell everyone at once. <laughs> Spread it out over a couple of days. I mean, seriously, that's, that's a natural tendency. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus lived a life of love and sacrifice and service. Now again, when we say service, let's, let's not put modern definitions. Okay? Jesus taught faithfully. He challenged when challenge was called for. He was strong as strength was needed, but He was also gracious. He was kind to those who needed kindness. His entire ministry was of service and sacrifice for the purpose, specific purpose of saving His bride. He knew what His people needed, and that's an important thing. He knew what they needed, and He gave it to them. Men, our natural tendency, and it's not just men, this is ladies as well, our natural tendency is to look out for ourselves. We all know what we want. We know what blesses us. I know what blesses me, and you know what blesses you. So here's a question, brothers. Do you know what refreshes your wife and your children? The principle is simple. Paul says, when you are blessing your wife, you are actually blessing yourself. He who loves his wife loves himself. But, you may say, I don't know all the things she wants. Now, this is not a time to, to, to get into any type of frivolity. In, 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 this, is, this is not about jokes on the men are Mars, women Venus type of thing, okay? But genuinely, I mean, 
men, it is easier sometimes to understand where we are because we don't think in the same complex ways that our wives do. Yet, God has He's called us men, and, and the Apostle Peter says this, we're called to dwell with our wives according to understanding, according to knowledge. Now that is not read very often because it's in the same passage where he uses one of the most uncomfortable verses in all the epistles where he uses he, the phrase that the wife is the weaker vessel and we don't touch that at all. That's not in most church readings on Sunday morning because we don't look at it from the way that they did. It's not a put down. It's when it comes to the fact that there are differences, there are physical differences between men and women, Peter is acknowledging that and he's telling men, you are called to be students of your wives because your, your wives are different than you. They don't have the strength that you have. So you are called to learn, to be a student of your wife. If we want to have strong marriages, we must serve our wives. Learn what she needs from you, what she wants. Now, this is not to say that you're, you are just to do all of the things that she normally does around the house or all the things that she does outside the house. No, it's a call to look out for her best interests. What does she need? Sometimes that may mean if your wife is overcommitting that you step in and prevent her from saying yes because she has a heart for service. And it's overwhelming. It may mean encouraging her to go beyond her comfort zone and doing something that she may not be comfortable with, but you don't just say, you got this, and I'm going to go have a drink, and, and, and I'll, I'll think about you. No, it means you step in. When you are encouraging her and, and, and encouraging her to push beyond, that you step in and say, now, we're going to do this. How can I help you to accomplish this? We are called helpers. Paul said, and this is for the whole church, we're helpers of one another's joy. Where does that start if not in the household? Serving also means taking time to communicate, to listen and learn what she is dealing with. The words that Paul uses about Jesus' love for the church are some of the most beautiful words that you can have. If there's a place for romantic language, if you want to call it that, in the New Testament, Ephesians 5 has it. Because it says that the husband nourishes and cherishes his own flesh, and that's what you're called to do also for your wives. You're called to lead lovingly. You're called to strengthen her in service. It means at times 
giving up what you want to do yourself. I don't mean giving up your calling, but giving up your own personal pleasure because you want to bless, encourage, and strengthen her and do the same for your children. Jesus' sacrifice of himself for his bride was the greatest act of loyalty there could ever be. He loved his bride unto death. Husbands, there should be no doubt in your wife's mind that your first loyalty after God himself is to her. Now this does not mean that whenever she says, I would like to do X, that you say, oh, of course. We all know what, yes, what, what happens with yes men. Okay? As one, one quote I remember from when I was 13, an older lady in our church who counseled a lot of women told me, any husband who never listens to his wife is a fool. And any husband who always does whatever his wife says is a fool. So I can say that because I'm quoting somebody else, an older godly mother in Israel. So I'll, I'll give you her number if you'd like to talk to her sometime. It's true. A wife will find it easier to follow a husband when she's confident that he loves her more than anyone else on earth. And he will give whatever it takes to bless her. And, and, and then that culminates then in, in the last part. We've, we, we've talked about loving through leadership and serving through sacrifice. What is, what is the end goal then for our, our wife, or for your wife and for your, your household? And that is sanctification. Sanctification. To grow in the love for and the knowledge of God. The end goal of marriage is not to have the most romantic marriage ever. That's not a bad desire. But that's not the purpose. Or to have the closest friendship ever. Or to have a household that you can say, I live on 50 acres with all of my children and their spouses and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and we're going to take the kingdom, just us, maybe. That's not the end goal either. The goal is to present your wife and children before God as more holy, more righteous, and more beautiful because of your influence on them. That is the goal. This is not contrary to taking dominion in all areas. So, so don't create a false dichotomy between either just focusing on personal sanctification or societal sanctification. If you only focus on society though, and you don't focus on personal and your household, guess what? Society will fall apart even further because there will be no witness in the household. This is where taking dominion begins. If you are not leading them in reading scripture, prayer, 
in teaching them and leading them and meditating on it, what are you giving them? What gifts are you giving to your wife and to your children that will last eternally? Maybe we should ask like this, what will you be remembered for? Will you be remembered because you can cite baseball statistics going back to 1946? I know some guys who can do it and it's really impressive in conversation. Their kids think it's awesome. Not, it's not wrong. But is that what you're going to be remembered for? Will you be remembered for working all the time? Or will you be remembered for loving your family as Christ loves His lambs? You say, brother, you're putting a heavy burden on us. But I've got good news. Okay? The same Jesus who has given us this example didn't just say, now do it. He died and gave us the Spirit so that we can fulfill that work. You are not left alone in this. You have everything you need. And it, it's, I almost said it's not rocket science, but we're in a people of engineers, so, you know, so, so for some, that, that's the, rocket science is not that big of a deal. Uh, it, but, but it's not hard. Read the Word and talk about it with your family. Pray with your wife and children. That's how you start. You read the Word, you pray. You count your blessings with your family. It's not, it doesn't have to be fancy, and in fact, it won't be fancy, and it won't be smooth. At times, you will feel like the biggest dork who ever walked when you're leading family devotions. Don't ask me how I know this. <laughs> but you will. You'll say, this is doing nothing. I don't feel like there's any progress being made at all. It's called spiritual attack, and it comes because you're being faithful. Not because it's useless. This is the work to which God has called us, men. And it's a work He's given us all that we need to do. He's given us what we need to fulfill it. So when you find yourself in that, in that position where you feel like, I'm lost, I don't know what I'm doing, don't lose your temper. Pray. and live to read another day. This is what Jesus did for His bride. He sanctified and cleansed her through the washing of the water of the Word that He might present her a glorious, that is, a beautiful church. Jesus constantly gave people Scripture. Read what He says. Read the stories that He gave. What is He doing? He's referring back to the prophets and the Torah. He's talking about the Psalms. He gave people Scripture, reminding them of God's promises, commands, and expectations. He led His followers. He sacrificed His life, not only at the end of His life. Jesus' sacrifice was every day. There was always a temptation before Him 
to seize power for himself. He had people saying, you can take the kingdom right now and we'll help. That was a temptation. Just like when, when he was on, he, he was taken up to see all the kingdoms and Satan said, I'll give it all to you right now, you bow. You can have it all. If that was not a sacrifice to say, no, I don't know what is. There are easy way outs, men, that will present themselves to you, saying, you can have all that you want and your family will be all right. It's a lie. This may sound impossible. How can I do all of this? How on earth? Thankfully, it doesn't begin on earth. It begins in heaven, which is where we are when we come before the throne. We begin the same way Abraham established a faithful household. We trust God's word and we obey as best we can. Abraham walked out towards the promised land one step at a time. So men, love your wife. Love your wives while you lead. Sacrifice for your wives. Sanctify her. Sanctify your children through giving them the gift of God's word. When you sin, repent. Trust God's grace. Get up and start over again because a righteous man falls seven times yet rises again. This is how the world is restored. This is how Satan's chaos is subdued one faithful household at a time. God has given you what you need. Let's be about the business. Let's pray. Our Father in God, You have revealed Yourself to us and You have taught us things that we could not understand or find out on our own. You've given us all spiritual blessings. And You've given us what we need to fulfill the work You've given us to do. May we faithfully walk in this way. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Oh.